Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of the Network Collective Community Roundtable. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the unique situations that come up when networking leaves the comfortable confines of the everyday campus and data center and moves into environments that are a bit more challenging. Sponsoring today's episode is Cumulus Networks. Cumulus is the maker of the world's most flexible network operating system and is looking to bring some soul to your network. Simple, open, untethered Linux. We'll be sharing a bit more about what Cumulus is up to later in the show. Also, we wanted to remind you about the Network Collective Community Membership. Network engineers connect the world, but where do network engineers go to network with one another? We're building a community of passionate networkers who aren't interested in mediocrity and want to excel at their craft. If this sounds like you, you should definitely take a minute to head on over to the network collective.com slash join and check out how a network collective community membership can help you take the next step in your career. Well, welcome to the show, Scott and Jeremy. It's good to see you guys here. Russ and Yvonne, it's good to see you again. Uh, we're going to be talking about networking in harsh environments today. And I guess we probably should define that. So from the top, let's, let's just say, let's take a second to say what is a harsh environment? I think it's a pretty broad definition probably. Scott? Well, it is, yeah, it's kind of a, a big place to start with it, but, you know, harsh can involve many things. The people you work with, I mean, I, I think like we said, any time a network involves Russ, it's going to be a harsh environment. That's true. That's very, very true. <laughs> yeah, you know, That's but the observation. <laughs> but, you know, we always have to define these things. You don't find, I want to find a Visio icon for Russ, just so I can stick it off <laughs> to find harsh network. Probably Russ, has a non-vendor specific. I was going to say, Russ <laughs> maintains a set of Visio icons. Russ, I have a request. <laughs> you have a portrait? Something we can put into a Visio icon? <laughs> yeah, we can give it like one of those little artsy uh, meme things. But you know, that's the whole idea is, is what do you define as things out of the ordinary and honestly we, we can be talking about anything from i have a warehouse and it may seem innocuous in and of itself until you try to do something like run voip over it, you know voip over the wireless on there and all of a sudden it is a harsh environment so i i think you know we have a technically broad way to look at things of it may or may not be harsh until you actually try to do something on it so in that characteristic, you're talking primarily about building materials. Mm -hmm. I, 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 is that? I mean, so, so what are some other characteristics? I mean, I think topological can be it. I mean, we've talked about some remote mountains. mountains, those types of things. Weather. Weather. Extremes of temperature. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> says the guy who deals with that all the time. Where are you based right. on? <laughs> Alaska, right? I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm subarctic. I'm not above the Arctic Circle, but we do have some pretty good temperature swings. But, but I can see yeah. it from there. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he, he yeah, like six hours a day. <laughs> we just bounce it off the ionosphere. You know? Nice. So, so yeah. So, so, so temperature. I think security. I mean, when I think about security, specifically harsh environments, I think about DefCon, right? And like, you know, running 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 a wireless network at DefCon is not a uh, is not a meek. Not man. for the faint of heart. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. It's it's one of those things that, in fact. Uh, I have, I have a friend who just recently uh, went to uh, Caesars as their lead wireless engineer at Caesars and DEF CON is at a Caesars property this year. And he started just a couple months before DEF CON came around. And it was pretty much the first thing on his agenda. So guess what? Every hacker in the world is gonna be coming to your property here pretty soon. So I, mean, I would think it's a pretty harsh environment. Yeah. And there are well, environments that are politically- interview. If What's he that? survives that week, I said, if he survives that week, then he must be a good hire. Yeah, like yeah. if that's his first 90 days, right? Yeah. Like, they're really going to know. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, Jeremy, you were talking, you were saying politics, right? So, it, politically harsh. Example, I've got uh, a friend who supports uh, a network of missionaries in countries where, uh, you know, sometimes, um, uh, you know, there are they're hostile. actions which here, they're hostile they're hostile, yes, actions which here in the United States would be, we just take for granted the ability to look up information on the internet and supporting a network of uh, you know VPN clients around the world where it's a life or death matter that's definitely a, a hostile environment and you know you would be a little bit more careful about your configs there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you also could like wrap war zones into that. I mean, our military does a lot of unique things in harsh environments. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, in that's fact, they come and do, they do uh, experimental networking testing right in my backyard. I have the part of the National Missile Defense System about uh, 10 miles away. And sometimes they knock out our comms. So <laughs> Is that like a sales pitch when you try to get people to come live up in your area? Oh, by the way, it's exactly. so remote and so harsh that it, our military trains here for harsh environments. That's exactly I mean, right. And that sounds appealing I, I to figured, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get contacted by your, like, you know, your local you know, board of tourism or whatever. Like, can, you, can you remove this episode? It doesn't reflect well on us. There's, there's actually a number to call when the bombing is too loud. <laughs> I, I mean, I, how, do you, how do you define that? It's not like a guy throwing a party next door at 10 p.m. at night. It's, it's, blowing stuff up it's, you know it's that it's that i don't know how to define it but i know it when i see it kind of thing. <laughs> if they're breaking windows yeah well, fair enough well, I know um, one of our, uh, you know, uh, big time supporters guests several times, Kevin Myers, right? He talks about times he's done work in environments where like whole parts of the network just disappear because of the fact of, of, of those harsh environments because of being in a war zone or something or some sort of terrorism or something that happens where, uh, you know, oh, this whole cell site just got taken out completely because it was a strategic you know, <laughs> initiative of your opposition, right? Well, like, wasn't that that story about an elderly woman with a hoe who took out Tibet, something like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I guess construction season could be harsh. <laughs> harsh environment. That's that's in New York. Guess whole new meaning tobacco fade. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, and there's a, there's also like limited power environments, right? Yeah. I know, especially in South and Central America. Um, folks have been providing wireless to folks with solar powered gear because uh, it's logistically difficult to power the gear. So that's another circumstance in which um, things are harsh. And, and those are also like outdoor environments. So not only do you have solar power, you've right. got outdoor gear that you're trying to harden against um, the jungle. Yeah, uh, I think one of the other characteristics could be mobility. Uh, the you know we talk about mobility when we talk about endpoints, but when you talk about mobility as in like the hub or center of your network actually is on the move. Oh, um, the entire network. Yeah, when the entire network is in motion. So I think about this. I have a customer uh, who's a hospital, and they're they're trying to do you know lab tests on the road. You know, they, they basically want to go out into the community and like, but they're doing like these big images. They're putting a big expensively you know uh, imaging machine in a van driving it into underprivileged places to be able to take the, the scan and testing to them because they're just not coming into the hospital and they're not getting the care that they need. And, um, and, and all of a sudden you have these big images that need to transfer over wireless <laughs> and things like that. It just presents some interesting challenges that come with, uh, I mean, maybe not harsh, but just, you know, very unique environments that, that present unique challenges when it comes to the networking picture. When density I wonder can if the added challenge. Go ahead, Sorry, Scott. Go ahead. 
Oh, I, was say, I wonder if the added challenge to that is you've got to recalibrate the imaging machine after it drives. <laughs> I don't think it's that sensitive of an imaging machine, but yeah. And I don't want to go too much into detail, obviously it's customer, but yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing like that, but it is a, uh, it is a uh, interesting, uh, interesting proposition what they're looking to do there. Yeah. That's like the whole mobile, mobile MRI concept, right? You got an MRI, you got it in a semi-trailer and you're, uh, driving it around and uh, and I can tell you from personal experience that radiology images are one of the biggest challenges on any provider network because they're large and um, yeah and people need them like radiologists all over the world need to be able to read those things to diagnose and it's it's a big deal. I've always wondered that about radiology, yeah. completely sidetracked, but like <laughs> we take the biggest images we possibly can and then make sure that the people read them are as far away from the source as possible. We just seem to do well, that all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've wondered about that. One, one of our clients that we deal with, that they specifically outsource uh, radiology. Yep. And so we've got radiologists located all over the place. And, and it's, it's amazing to, to think exactly that. Like, could we have picked some possibly smaller amount of information to send back and forth? But as somebody who's been in healthcare for a long time, there has been a shortage of radiologists. And so part of solving that problem has been you become a radiologist. You worked eight to five, no matter where you live across the globe. And then we provide your services. So it's a, it's a follow the sun, eight to five radiology. And they've done that because th there's been a shortage. And so you make tons of money and you live in Tahiti and, you know, for eight hours a day you read radiology images and then you go out and enjoy the beach so um i quit yeah. i'm becoming a radiologist <laughs> exactly i'm done i wanted to sign up <laughs> so, so going back to your, to your military use case i mean i worked on um a couple of military situations where we were doing mobile ad hoc networks which actually came out in the itf and some modifications for ospf came out in, in the itf because um we would actually drop eight or 10 guys or eight or 10 people um, nowadays, eight or 10 people in off of a C-130 in the middle of nowhere. And they had to have voice and sensor communication off man packs, basically off of yeah. their backpacks on their back. I, no I, matter I, where I they go. Example is one of the, the most dramatic uh, for that very reason, because I, I worked with a guy out of the air force who did the same thing. You know, you get deployed to some, you know, <laughs> not a fob yet. It's going to be a fob. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it can't be a fob until we actually have communications. And so they're like, you know, they're sent out with a crew of people who have, you know, guns to protect them so that they can build a computer network under fire. Literally. I mean, we all we all like to use these military terms to explain the things that we do for them. It's literal, you know, and, and yeah. oh, by the way, you have just hours to get this thing set up and it's got to be done. Now, obviously, they do a lot of planning and maybe that's part of the thing about harsh environments is that, you know, know how to be flexible and to be able to do it on the fly. But man, like that's a, that's an interesting challenge. Yeah. The mom mobile army, not that kind of mom. Mobile <laughs> army. <laughs> I, was, I imagine Yeah. No, I was, I was, I was uh, attached to the mob in Fort Dix for a bit. Explain so much. <laughs> we've talked a lot about what these harsh environments are and could be let's let's talk about how you know pick one and talk about how the technology um changes or how you have to do things differently based on that that harsh environment do we do we have a thought i'd like to request uh, i'd like to hear from scott about um, you know working on ships for example where you're dealing not just with high latency but low bandwidth <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I can talk about low bandwidth from the shipping perspective because with our high lead times in Alaska, but go ahead, Scott, I'd love to hear about that. 
Well, so I, I think the example we were talking a little bit offline about was uh, a couple of years ago, I was on a, on a Disney cruise with my family, which is <laughs> wonderful, by the way, if you've ever been on one, it's a, they, they are great. Networking has its moments. The, the cruise that we were on, the fun part about it was a ship was relocated from the Caribbean up to uh, over to Europe. It was doing a, a relocation over there. And apparently somebody forgot to reposition the satellite because all their internet is of course satellite based. So when you try to pull from the satellites you do in the Caribbean and you're suddenly in a different location, curve earth and all that jazz just suddenly doesn't work very well. And so I was trying to figure out why the internet was just like horrible and non-existent. And, and kind of as I'm going through thinking through all the things of, okay, how you set it up, what's it going to look for, what's it going to do this. And so I finally found the, the one networking guy who's on the ship and start talking to him about it and said, you know, I, I think it may be you didn't reposition and, and do this and, and retest to the satellite that you actually need to. And I even had given him a map as far as where satellites work. Said, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> you're that guy. That guy, the, the other side of this story is way, way different. You're all happy. <laughs> the other guys, you never believe the guy who was on my ship. This little <laughs> came in and told me how to position my satellite. I was, I was trying to provide a solution to <laughs> and not just be that guy going, dude, your internet sucks. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I was being nice about it and he was being entirely unhelpful because apparently I found out later he thought I wanted this job and I'm like, sounds cool, but mm, probably not. So, you know, as we're going day by day and I'm getting nowhere with him, I finally call Russ because I know he's worked with the Disney guys like in Florida, like the real networking people. I'm like, dude, seriously, who do I need to talk to to get over this guy's head to fix this problem? Yeah, so we, yeah, we had, we had environmental <laughs> political issues. It was a harsh <laughs> environment. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so you called Russ and the, Russ, what did you do? I called the person I know who takes care of that side of the business at Disney. <laughs> and well, well, you have to complete the story now. What happened? <laughs> well, oh, we got it fixed. Yeah. I hate you, Scott. So this guy on a cruise ship gets a call from his boss. He goes, like, you know that guy you've been talking to? You just need to go Google him a little bit. And then I want you to Google the guy I got a call from. <laughs> well, and, but see, the problem was he couldn't at that point in time. <laughs> because he had right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so I mean, there's some interesting challenges there. I mean, satellite. I mean, anytime you include satellite, it's going to be somewhat of a harsh environment because you're you're adding incredible amounts of latency compared to what our normal, you yeah. know, land land based circuits are. I mean, it's great because we can get connectivity just about anywhere in the world. Um, but it's slow. <laughs> even, even, even when you're pointed at the right satellite, it's slow. Like, so, sometimes, sometimes we wonder if Yvonne is on satellite. Oh, sorry. No, she's <laughs> practicing that statue game with her kids. <laughs> oh, inside jokes galore. This is going to be great for people listening. Um, well, I mean, it's kind of like, have you ever been on a cell phone call with somebody you don't want to talk to and you're like, ah, ooh, ah, 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 click. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've never done that. No. No, you never I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, I have a, I have a, a customer who is a oil pipeline company 
Uh, and they, they, with that, there's all kinds of sensors that have to come along with running an oil pipeline because obviously they need to know if something is not going right. Oil pipelines tend to not run through the middle of downtown. Right. Um, and so, and so these sensors tend to be fairly remote. Uh, and so when you talk about power, that's a thing. Like they've got to figure out how to get power out to some of these sensor places and they've got to figure out then how to get the networking back. And so they do a ton of uh, 3G, 4G, VSAT um, connectivity back for these sensors, uh, which is uh, at least for them because it's just sensor data. I mean, the sensor data is important, but, you know, latency isn't super critical. You know, it gets there half a second later. That's fine. Uh, but when you talk about voice, that becomes a much bigger deal when you start talking about that kind of latency. Getting voice over satellite is challenging. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, I, I guess one of the components when you talk about when you think about your solutions and the things you're doing, you have to, you have to consider the data you're carrying. Um, well, and consider how you network. Yeah, consider how you can change the application to make the data fit the network that exists. Like, you know, the harshest environment I think I've ever worked in is in is in Greenland, and um, it's mostly satcom. It's mostly satcom and microwave up the chain of you know a few villages with 26 30 people in them and you've got to get video on demand out there well how do you do that for a village of 26 people that's off the end of a microwave chain and how do you deal with all the stuff that goes into fiber in that environment you know you want to bury fiber but it's rock i mean the back coast don't work so well out there yeah you you (laughs) you have dynamite fade Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that and you leave it above ground and polar bears find it fairly tasty. Well, I mean, we saw that story the other day where people were looking like just tape fiber to the top of the ground. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On the tops of roads. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, let's put this shielded cable on top because, I mean, we already have backhoes who hit fiber, you know, like it's a game. (laughs) What's going to happen when the fiber is so much easier to see? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I, speaking of games, so I was kind of thinking back to uh, some cable companies that I've worked with, and when when you're getting more uh, better data and voice and stuff over cable, there were a lot of upgrades that had to take place. And some of the ones that I was dealing with had a lot of rural areas that they're trying to figure out why they were getting a loss off of certain nodes. And of course, by the time you get all your built-in sensors, don't tell you as much do a truck roll out and they found that the node casing that they had had little shotgun pellets in it. <laughs> basically it was in a position that apparently was a very nice target for people wandering around with guns. So <laughs> small things, but things we might not think about that kind of also have to be taken into account of don't put a target up. <laughs> yes. There yes. is that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like in Greenland, they have the problem of ice building up on things. I'm sure you have that as well, <laughs> is ice issues. But what you don't have is you don't have a cooling issue. <laughs> Still from the north. <laughs> yeah, air conditioners are redundant. <laughs> I, I find that that is, to, to bring this back kind of to a technical uh, perspective here, that because we're dealing in Alaska with many places where there really is, not only is there no grid, there's just no power infrastructure of any kind. And right. yet, because of, you know, the mountains, uh, because of the long distances involved, we do have to be able to do remote sites. Uh, I don't know if you've, any of you have read about GCI's Terra network that's over 100 towers. It's a massive ring. And there's at least 25 of them that are solely fueled by, by chopper. And they maintain enough fuel at those sites for like 15 months of generator generator power by chopper yes they That's take a big yeah. a, a giant I mean, bladder of fuel and yeah. it's 
millions and millions of dollars in maintenance every year on that kind of a yeah. network. And, and in, in, on top of that, they're also dealing with uh, icing that you wouldn't believe where the oh. rugged towers completely encased in ice. That's the sort of thing they see out on the coast. I'm, I'm in the interior in a desert. We almost never get icing, but I have seen it. I've seen like a foot of ice, you know, once you get a foot of buildup on a, on a microwave dish, there's some serious attenuation that goes on it. No matter what <laughs> you're <trying to> do. <laughs> it's like dynamic like literally attenuation have to, and not because, yes. Oh, there's a rainstorm. It's Oh, because of the foot of ice that's on the dish. We could have a picture of it and some people would go, Oh, that's very pretty. And other guys are like, Oh God. <laughs> I, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a harsh beauty. Absolutely. And so in the case of the power, um, we, we do actually have to insulate batteries. And so once you've done that, you have to deal with heat dissipation in the summer. So, um, I've got sites that are on the grid that will run, uh, you know, a certain amount of heat, uh, for, uh, you know, let's say, five months out of the year and then there's really just a like a two-week window at either end where we're not having to run ac and then we're having to run ac again so they as you get into these temperature extremes um we can't necessarily just do like airflow cooling for example um we're in a very high silt environment because it is a desert so you either have to deal with doing a doing a chopper run or a truck run in order to um, change the filters periodically or or you're going to be running you know redundant ac systems you know, if you have the power budget uh, to accommodate it so i talk to guys who uh, you know do ups engineering for example and they're like oh well you don't need that level of protection that's for sub-saharan africa and i said well we don't have a grid assumptions <laughs> about that quality power you get high winds you get trees falling on the line you know it's a we have a, a lot of power outages so uh I'm starting to feel better about the places that I work. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, usually, usually when I plug something into the power, it just comes on. And yeah, I mean, and it goes out and we plan for short outages. I don't have to plan with the idea that, you know, my power is going to disappear for, I don't know, the next couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> or I don't need a helicopter to fix that issue. Yeah. I was going to say. Or, or get fuel to my generator. Yeah. I was going to say, in Greenland, there are, yeah, in Greenland, there are sites that are only accessible via helicopter that are bladder that are bladder fuel there. They're on constant generator power. Wow. And There's always something new to learn. I didn't even know this was a thing. Yes. Sure. I just didn't even know this was a thing. That's, that's wildly. And a lot of times the helicopter will not land there long enough, other than long enough to offload somebody or bring them on. Because if the high winds come up, the helicopter can't take back off and the helicopter is stuck on site. So what they do is they build shelters at these sites so that you can survive for a couple of weeks in case the helicopter lands and drops you and can't come back to get you. Okay. You better hope that you fix the network before the chopper comes back. Yeah. So, new, 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 new criteria for job selection, not someplace where I could be stuck for weeks. <laughs> Just never thought about it. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah. yeah, so when you ask what's the new job in a typical day, you, you want to ask what's the new job on a bad day? <laughs> exactly. yeah. well, what, what's the worst day here look like <laughs> yeah, look like yeah, yeah. i've right. had to take shelter from like you know thunderstorms up on the top of a mountain but i've not ever been stranded but it's a, that's a very real very real possibility <laughs> very real possibility <laughs> all right so we've talked about temperature extremes we've talked about uh, uh highly mobile networks especially when we talk about ships and satellites any other environments that we'd like to like to chat about i think uh we mentioned a bunch of criteria 
I think we kind of hit the, the highlights from the experience perspective, right? <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, we all have friends who've worked in interesting places, so. You want to go back to political issues? I know uh, some people who've done stuff in Latin America when they first went down there and started doing it. And um, there were all these little tribes and you would lay fi- fiber over a mountain and you wouldn't dig it because it was just so long. You would just leave it on top of the ground. Oh, <laughs> so, so Scott has popcorn. For those who are, for those, literally like a movie box of popcorn. <laughs> you just pull out. This is awesome. <laughs> and, and so what would happen is, is you'd run this cape, this fiber, and then you, it would go bad, you know, the next day and you do your TDR on it and you'd bring out Bert and you'd look at your TDR and you go out and find the break and there'd be some, local tribesmen standing there You're like what's this about well we cut it because it runs through our property and you have to pay us <laughs> so you pay the guy fix it and the next day it gets cut again it's like 100 yards down and some other local chief is standing there going it's going through my property <laughs> you gotta pay me <laughs> I think with politics, so we're talking about, you know, you know, physical access in these places. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. But also, I mean, when you talk about political, uh, you know, there's a lot of politics tied with ISPs. Yeah. Uh, so right. when, you know, I remember it, we watch this and well, it happens in the Middle East quite often. Right. All of a sudden there's political turmoil and a whole country disappears off the Internet because the politics and the routing policy are tied together. Um, and I can imagine that's got to be a pretty stressful job is, you know, these guys who are network engineers who are just you know, trying to do what we do, right? Live in this place and the edicts comes down that we cut ourselves off. And that's just something that's part of the job. Uh, and so, well, and, that, and that's actually getting broader, though, because of the different networks, different directions. You get people with cell signals and things like that, where you start to see we shut the main ISP off. But oh, yeah, that- there's still pads out. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, I mean, and like there, I- there's a whole you know, uh, a whole effort to obfuscate that ability or not obfuscate is the wrong word, but to circumvent that ability of governments to be able to, to, to cut off entire populations because of obviously the social implications. Um, but the idea of uh, like these uh, mobile ad hoc networks or, or the idea of, you know, mesh networking through client devices out to yeah. edges and peripheries. And there's all kinds of really interesting things in this space that yeah. you know, the people are working on trying to, to make, uh, make uh, network communications less centralized. Yeah, uh, harder, six, six, low pan, six low pan, Babel, that's it. For people who are familiar with the Babel routing protocol, that's actually what Babel is, is designed for, is to go into environments where there is no centralized authority or no centralized, like, there's no hub and spoke. It's just a community network that people have thrown up and put together. Um, and Master for networking, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And there's an entire group that comes to the ITF and they have meetings about community built networks that are off, like they don't, even not, even in Europe and other places where they just don't want to be on the grid. They just don't want anything to do with the local ISP. So they just build these Babel-based networks and um, over packet radio and stuff like that. Well, guys, I think this will be a, a good time to take a, take a minute to talk about today's sponsor. Cumulus Networks is bringing soul to the network. That's S-O-U-L. Simple, open, untethered Linux with the world's most flexible network operating system. For enterprises and cloud environments alike, Linux is the language of the data center. And just like Linux has transformed the server space, it's transforming the network. 85% of IT decision makers say they are still several years away from reaching the full potential of digital transformation, mostly due to their legacy infrastructure, which is complex, proprietary, and difficult to scale. 
as IT organizations evaluate their environments, they're realizing the need for more flexible networks purpose-built for automation. The demands on the network have never been higher. Organizations cannot afford to waste time with manual configurations that can be automated to reduce effort, improve performance, and increase delivery times. But automating configuration is only part of the battle. Troubleshooting legacy networks is cumbersome and repetitive in most environments. To alleviate this challenge, Cumulus Linux created NetQ, a built-in tool that provides intelligence and visibility across an entire fabric from a single interface. And now, NetQ integrates with Kubernetes and Docker Swarm. See fabric-wide connectivity and visibility from the network to the container. Gain deep insights by monitoring containers as they change and map ports. With Cumulus BGP unnumbered, the network fabric can dynamically learn about new containers, advertise IP addresses, and redistribute container reachability throughout the network. Enable mobility and re resiliency with a seamless container networking experience. Over a thousand customers are transforming their organizations by running Cumulus Linux on over 70 hardware platforms. It's time to say goodbye to soulless vendors with simple, open, untethered Linux. If you want to know more about Cumulus and how to put soul back into your network, head over to cumulusnetworks.com slash network collective has soul. There you can try Cumulus in the cloud, a virtual data center where you can explore all that Cumulus Linux has to offer. So yeah, I want to shift the conversation back a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot about like what harsh environments are and some of those characteristics, but let's, let's change the focus and let's say you're an engineer. This is day one on the job and you're tasked with looking at an environment and designing something in a place that would meet any of these criteria for harsh. Uh, what are some of the things you need to think about? How is it different than designing for your, your regular everyday network? Yeah, I would start with just challenging my own assumptions about what's going to be available to the guys on site. Um, let's say and that might be me, right? In many cases, it has been me. Um, if, if I'm having to fly out to a remote location, I'm going to have to be sure that I take all the possible diagnostic tools with me that I'm going to use. I'm going to have to take all the reference materials because there's possibly going to be no cell signal, probably going to be no cell signal. Um, and definitely making sure that I am uh, planning ahead to think of all contingencies at all layers, right? So we talk about the OSI model where we have, uh, you know, our, our transport layer kind of being the, the bottom layer that we usually think about. Well, I challenge myself to think about layers that are below that power, access to power, um, access to uh, spare parts. So lead times, for example, in Alaska, particularly in some locations, the barge is coming once or twice a year. It doesn't come during the winter. There's no road. Uh, you, you know, oh, so there's, wrong so there's SFPs, you're in trouble. You wrote the wrong SFP. <laughs> you don't want to be up on the tower with the wrong SFPs either. So even just no four, so four hour support contracts there, huh? Yeah, no, right. <laughs> there are none of those. So I start from that and then try to figure out the, 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 the points that are the greatest risk to that particular project and try to mitigate those risks if possible. And think about, um, I always try to think about things like if I'm working on one particular, like you talk about having SFPs on the tower and having microwave or whatever sat, always having an alternate physical media to get to the same place. I mean, for instance, again, in Greenland, uh, there is sea cable that runs up the coast, but icebergs play havoc with sea cable. 
So you have to figure out how to drill down through the rock and get the sea cable out below the, the level of most icebergs. But then what do you do else to solve that? Um, you have to have a microwave link or you have to have SATCOM or something because there's an alternate way of getting there. Um, you just can't have one physical media or one transport media or whatever the case might be um, to give yourself resiliency. It becomes a lot more important, like in a data center, oh, I can have five different optical links and they're all going to be fine. When one of them fails, it's going to be an optical failure, right? But in, out in the wild, you know, it could be, who knows? Well, and that's the interesting thing you bring up with that is that you may be faced with not only my primary, but my alternate is also kind of the, the harsh type media or yeah. a latency sensitive media where my C cable may be great when it works, but if it doesn't, then my satellite and my microwave, I've got the latency issues to go with it. And that may be dual sets of planning, you know, plan for the good days and plan for the bad days. Yeah, yeah. I liked what Jeremy said there about uh, first off on challenging your assumptions. So I think that, you know, as we, as we build up experience, we kind of get, uh, we build up an intuition to the way networks are supposed to run. So we, we kind of have a feel for what like, you know, layer one media should, should, should do in certain situations. And we get a feel for what layer two should do in certain situations. Uh, those things go out the window, right? Like the, the, the way it normally works is out the window. So you have to challenge those assumptions. And, and I think that where you get in trouble is if you just rely on some of those assumptions where we get away with that a lot in the enterprise world where everything is like pretty cookie cutter, right? I mean, like a lot of our environments are very much the same. When we stand up a 10 gig link, 10 gig links are the same. They're the same types of distances. They're the same. When you start getting into these environments where you're either talking long distances, you're talking weird topologies or high levels of latency, all of a sudden the protocols start getting to the end of their normal behavior. And so you can't just assume that spanning tree or your routing protocol or whatever it is that you're putting in uh, and depending on, is going to work the same way it's worked everywhere else. You have to verify and kind of break away from those assumptions. Have you guys seen characteristics of that? Like, you know, where a protocol breaks down because of the fact of, of some type of harsh component. Oh yeah. Well, I, I have good. found the static routes work the same no matter where you go. <laughs> we, we, we really try not to have that. <laughs> yeah, that, that was not encouraging people to do static routes, by the way. No. You, you just set us back like 10 years, Scott. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely and, things like BFD, which you, you, you might turn on on a, on a physical uh, terrestrial link with impunity. Uh, if you're dealing with any type of uh, you know, high latency or uh, a little bit more loss than expected. Um, you know, you can't just assume that that's going to be the best choice on a microwave link, for example. Um, in, in, in the cases where you do run a microwave and you, you, all, all, you have, all you have access to is microwave, then uh, you might do your darndest to make sure that you have both a high capacity, high band link and also a low, not necessarily out of band, but a low capacity link. You know, you may not have the luxury of having a, an out of band network. That's, that actually, this conversation came up recently on, uh, on Reddit where somebody was wanting to do an out of band network to a campus building that was like one next door. And we said, well, you know, you could just walk over there, right? This is not, this is, it's, so, but there are lots of places that we can't the, just The out-of-band network is the footpath. <laughs> There's actually a little sign on it that says out-of-band network, by the way. <laughs> for, Jer for Jeremy, the out-of-band network runs through the, through the uh, practice field for bombs. Well, his out of band network in that capacity is a helicopter. Is a helicopter. So yeah. The value proposition is a little different. And the latency, well, the latency goes up quite a bit. We see his network links on ice truckers. 
And they're just like, I know that place. Yeah. <laughs> my colleagues, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> All right, and so I mean, is it, I think that we've talked a lot. I mean, as we talked about the examples, a lot of it comes down to some of these lower layers. I mean, we talk about, you know, layer eight and politics, right? But, but we talk about a lot of it has to do with media and this, these low level protocols that behave very differently. In these no, it, it's, I don't even so much as it's necessarily behavior because that, that is an aspect of the environment and of what we do to like a physical cable or wireless or something like that. But I think a lot more is to emphasize the understanding of how your higher protocols work and what they do. You know, whether it be TCP retransmits, well, is it an application problem that causes that or what's going on? Yeah. How much are you adding to the, the issue of low bandwidth, lots of things trying to go across it because an application is performing normally, but performing normally would be in, you know, my home environment where I've got a cable that goes 40 feet and life is good, you know, or, or what is, what is normal compared to what your, you know, Jeremy's normal is going to be far different. Well, Russ is never normal. So I guess that was a bad analogy, Uh, (laughs) but, but it's going to be far different depending on what environment we're in and applications are usually designed for the good stuff. Right. And it makes you think about quality of service, weighted red, which, by the way, a lot of people confuse quality of service with weighted red. They're not the same thing. But anyway, quality of service, weighted red, all those types of things that you don't think about and um, traffic policing versus, you know, doing other things with queuing and stuff like that that make a huge difference. Right. I mean, weighted red could have a huge difference in this kind of environment where you may not see it so much in a data center fabric. It may take a lot of may take a lot of TCP traffic to get weighted red to have any impact in a data center environment, but over a SATCOM link, it becomes, suddenly becomes very crucial. Right. I think that, you know, this all just comes down to really understanding what the stuff is doing, right? I think Scott, you're the one who said that it's just really understanding at a fundamental level. If you're going to be pushing these things to their boundaries, you have to understand what, what it is they do, what they're good at. Um, you can't just do, <laughs> you can't just do the, uh, what do we call it? Russ calls them meta engineers. Yeah. <laughs> where where I, I, I Google. <laughs> well, what, I what, what's the best queuing policy for? Yeah, I know how to configure it. That in. Yeah. But, but, but I don't know what it, Is that what we called it the other day in the Slack? Like you Google it and you find a line of code and you just copy it and paste it yes. in. Yeah. And, uh, and, oh, that seems like it Yeah, worked. that didn't work. So let me go to number two. Well, that didn't work. Google hit number three. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I'm pulling out the stuff that I've already put in there, right? Oh. Of course not. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. That's why Windows has a million Because I've cleaned those environments, yes. I think <laughs> transition between uh, it being acupuncture, homeopathic, and then eventually you really are poking the doll. <laughs> <laughs> So we see that fine line between acupuncture and voodoo is what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was a great quote. <laughs> that was pretty phenomenal. Oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just, you know, those things you put in, you have to be very careful of, and you have to make sure you understand what they're doing. Um, and I think, that, I think that you would find that probably less is more. Right. Um, That's what I was going to say. You have to clean out. 
right? You can't just put things in. You have to clean out. But I think that's true in all networks. I think that we have, you know, I don't. I, I say we collectively. We we get away with a lot more in higher. Exactly. Speed. I think we collectively we love the knobs and the levers and the complexity, and it's just it's all very interesting and challenging. Um, but I really do, you know, the, the longer I do this, the less is more, right? The less is more. It doesn't. I mean, but I think it becomes more critical when we're talking about pushing yeah. the boundaries of the protocols. Really having a good, solid understanding of what you are running. Don't run what you don't need. Well, and the interesting thing kind of along those lines is you can hide a lot in high-speed networks. Yeah. Right. You know, the, the more I'm able to move, the less that you don't care as much because I've just got so much bandwidth and availability and paths and everything else. And then suddenly you go into a slower, harsher environment and all these things start popping up and you're like, but I was doing this just fine in my lab or, you know, over here. So what's the difference? And yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So, yeah. So is there any other, um, you guys, I mean, I guess we're talking about this kind of generically. Are there examples of protocols or things that break down? You, you mentioned BFD, Jeremy, as one of those things that, that came out as like maybe not one of those good examples of things to use on a, on a high latency link. Um, <laughs> You know, Russ, I know you've done a lot of work specifically in routing protocols. I mean, there are, there are, there are places where they break down, right? I mean, the idea is it, it, there's going to be a point at which too much is, is bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're running a link state protocol, you want to be very, very cautious about your timers and exponential back off and stuff like that because consuming bandwidth is a bad thing. And it's really easy to get into a congestive failure where you're actually collapsing the network through congestive failure on the, on the routing protocol side. I mean, I've actually seen that with a couple of routing protocols in some very low speed environments where, you know, you just get enough routing protocol traffic that the routing protocol stops diverging. So it just becomes a self, a self-induced congestive failure. Yeah. Or it doesn't finish with one update before the next one starts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It never converges like BGP in the, in the global internet, but in worse situation where you just physically can't route any place. I, so. I thought it was very clever how Babel handles that where yeah. it, uh, not to decide side note here, but, uh, that it maintains the current route until a new route comes in. So right. it never, it, it's, it's kind of consistent eventually, uh, mm-hmm. like modern databases, uh, not necessarily consistent at any one point in time across the entire network. Uh, so that I'd actually like to see more. I've talked about this in other, other sessions, but, um, more of uh, improvement in in the kind of the low speed edge uh, in networking protocols because we don't yet have uh, you know really solid protocols that are easy to to deploy and handle kind of every edge case. So yeah. So if anybody wants to work on that, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know. What's I said that, like volunteered. <laughs> well, Babel's a good start. Babel's a really cool protocol. If you want to play with it, it's out there in FR routing and uh, yeah, I, there's I open wonder, source supplementations. I wonder how much we're going to see of this now. I think, because I think, you know, uh, it, networking not being 100% pervasive was, was acceptable until, yeah, I would say the past five to 10 years, right? The idea is that you have these harsh environments and they just don't have connectivity. Okay, so we move on. It's getting to the point now where that's no longer true. I mean, the internet is one of those fundamental 
needs and requirements to function in society. And so we're, we're starting to see, I think, more and more of these environments where it's, we don't have infrastructure, but we need to get out there and no one wants to spend the money to actually run it in any way that resembles what happens, you know, in dense environments. Uh, because the ROI just isn't there. Uh, you know, uh, Babel is a good example of, uh, you know, someone putting effort into uh, kind of like an ad hoc mesh style network uh, that runs well in that environment. I wonder how many more effort or how many more, you know, initiatives we're going to see in that area. Uh, these, you know, dealing with these more, you know, challenging environments. Right. So what we don't think about is, you know, we were talking about telemedicine and we were talking about, um, CAT scans and stuff like that and how hard they are to move around. What you don't realize is again, you know, you're in a village of 26 people on the Northwest coast of Greenland and your only access to a doctor, only literally the only access you have to a doctor is telemedicine over right. a microwave link. Like now, now things get real. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and there's real implications to all of this. There's yeah. a reason why people are going through the hassle and the challenge of deploying these networks. Is yeah. You need them. Yeah. There. And I think uh, it's interesting listening to uh, someone like uh, Nick Russo talk about some of the unique scenarios that, you know, he's building stuff because he, he works, does a lot of work on DOD networks. Um, and we talked about that a bit with the idea of military networks having some unique challenges um, and, and how, you know, <laughs> you know, the DOD is essentially tweaking every ounce of protocols that they possibly can to make them work in an ad hoc state to make them work in an easily deployed mobile state. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, you know, we don't see that filter down very well, right? Cause people don't like talking about what happens in the DOD very often, but I mean, I wonder, you know, <laughs> it would be nice if there was some sort of uh, some, some sort of mechanism to, to communicate, you know, what those things are and how they're doing them. I, well, I well, actually, actually there, actually there are some places where this shows up and I'll just talk about something I'm doing right now. It's just open fabric and, and parts of what open fabric are doing, which is for a data center environment are coming out of the man a work, the mobile ad hoc space that I did however many years ago, and just taking some of that work and reapplying it to optimizing, getting a lot more mileage out of a link state protocol in some of these, these situations. So I think we are seeing some of that bleed back a bit, um, not as much possibly as we could. And, you know, using those lessons, I think that's part of it here too, is that the more we work in these harsh environments, the more we understand these protocols and the better we can tune them to make them better in the environment we're in. I think that's, you know, I would say everybody should go to a vendor for a certain number of years in their networking career. I actually think everybody should move to Alaska. Sure. <laughs> Certainly would have a bunch of better engineers, right? Either that oh, or engineers who quit because it's too hard. That's true. <laughs> There really aren't enough engineers in Alaska. <laughs> well, I mean, with your with your glowing recommendation for the area where you live, it's really quite shocking. I mean, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, we, we should put an application at the the bottom of this uh, of the podcast to to you know be able to go out there. Yeah, yeah I mean, how, if you how, volunteer, how, just how reach out. Yeah. yeah. You know, you find me on Twitter, let me know. I'll, I'll pass your information along to Jeremy and I'm sure he can coordinate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, when going back to what you were saying, you know, I, I was trying to think through a lot of the, the, the DOD projects and things like that that I've done. And there, there's so many, there's so many examples of stuff, but it's like, I've got, I've got a process. What can I talk about? What can I not talk about? What, you know, how much are Right. Where do you want to get to to paint the picture, but not paint the picture? Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of goes to what Russ said. You know, he, he's using the stuff that he's learned previously and done this, which means mm -hmm. you kind of have to have the knowledge, then go use it someplace else. And, and that is kind of the hard part of it. Um, it goes back I, to I, I almost, 
pretty regularly. We learn networking backwards, and this is this is no different. We learn we learn by doing, and then and then figure out the logistics of of it, and and start figuring out the details by all the scars that we have, and then eventually we get to the point where we learn the fundamentals. And then, and then the definition of engineering, though, that we don't read the book first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I really think it should be the other way around, but it is it is what it is. And then we have a, a whole you know ocean of engineers who are uh, who are learning backwards, and I'm one of them, right? I, I learn backwards, so I think most of us have, are, except for Russ, Russ did it the opposite way. So <laughs> no, that's not true. No, no, Russ no, starts out because somebody approaches him to write a book. Then he, <laughs> then, then, he, then he has to then he has to learn it actually do yeah. the book yeah, yeah that how it works. that's right <laughs> the best way to learn it is to teach it yes that's right uh, there's a lot of truth in that no I got my scars in electronic engineering so when I came into networking I already knew the questions to ask oh there you go all right so so guys yeah. I think that's a good point I think we've uh, that was a really interesting conversation on harsh networks uh, before we go though I want to give everyone an opportunity to share where they can be found online or otherwise Scott do you want to kick us off where can people find you online Ooh, I, I'm such a hard one to find just you know Google my name kind of thing but no otherwise uh, on Twitter I'm at Scott Moore CCIE uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me um, nowadays I'm running my own company Alchemy Global Networks so you can find us online find me hanging out here and there uh, or pretty much everywhere awesome Jeremy uh, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter I'm at Jermudgeon J-E-R-M-U-D-G-E-O-N but I very rarely tweet and I blog very occasionally at heritagenet.works. If that, if you, with well, that Twitter name, you have to tweet more. <laughs> like you're like, that's you right. have to, you have to say either that or give up the name because that's like, <laughs> <laughs> I've had it, I've had it a long time, long before I grew the beard. So yeah, I I'm think, just, I'm, I'm grown into it. Uh, I see what <laughs> I see how it's it is. Fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> All right, Yvonne, how about you? Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Sharp Network and on the blog at esharp.net. Um, I've got some content ideas I'm kicking around, so hopefully we'll get some new stuff up there soon. Nice. Russ? Cool. Russ, you can always find me at the Network Collective. You can find me on Twitter every now and again. Well, more often now recently because Yvonne's been yelling at me, so I've actually been on Twitter a good bit more. I've encouraged. I encourage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can always find me at rule11.tech. Awesome. So, yeah, I'm Jordan Martin. You can find me at BCJordo on Twitter, jordanmartin.net, always Network Collective. If you like this episode, there are many, many more like it available at thenetworkcollective.com. From there, you can learn how to subscribe and receive notifications every time we post new episodes. Uh, if you are a fan of what we do, I have a, a request. I don't do this all the time, but I'd like to do this today. We'd really appreciate some help in getting the word out. Um, there's a couple ways you can help us. Uh, you can rate and review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Uh, the other way, uh, and I would actually prefer it this way, is if you could share with your friends on social media. Let people know, pick this episode or pick your or favorite in episode. Person. Or in person. I mean, if you have to talk to somebody in person, I guess. <laughs> the real social media network. The real social media. <laughs> uh, but, but tell a friend. I mean, if you, if you like what we're doing, let them know that we exist. And uh, that would be awesome if you could do that. Uh, we also love to uh, chat with those who listen to the show as much as we can. You can join in on that conversation by following us. Favorite social media sites. We're on Twitter at NetCollectivePC. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook just by searching for Network Collective. Don't forget to check out the Network Collective. Ah, I wish I knew our URL. <laughs> Don't forget to check out TheNetworkCollective.com uh, to see how Network Collective membership can help you take the next steps toward excellence in your career. And we will see you next time. <laughs>